Good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Alyssa. I'm one of the pastors here at Central City. It's so good to be in worship this morning. Um, I just want to say, because we did our, our announcement so early, that um, if you came in late, we, we the Connect card that is on your seat, um, that's, that's really important to us just so that we have an opportunity to... Um, to follow up with you, to connect with you, um, to see if there's anything that you uh, need from us. So if you're praying about something and you want us to join you in prayer, we'd love to do that if you, if you want to mark that on the back. If there's anything you have questions about um, here at Central City or anything that you're interested in in some of the ministries that you're doing, if you want to mark that on the Connect card, um, that's that's the way that we, that we follow up with you throughout the week. Can you turn my mic down just a little bit? Um, so this week we are continuing in uh, our series called Thanks Plus Giving, I guess. It's like a, a graphic. I don't know how to read it. Uh, Thanksgiving. Um, it's, it's exploring the, the intersection between uh, gratitude and generosity. And I realized this week that um, we start to talk about gratitude the minute it starts, the weather changes and it starts to get cold. So just the moment when I'm like, I want to be grouchy for the next six months, um, we're like, no, gratitude. We have so much to be thankful for. And I'm like, yeah, and we do. But I'm freezing. So, you know, that's just a good thing. This whole month, everywhere you go, everyone is talking about being thankful and thanksgiving and, and gratitude and all of that. So we are no different, and that's what we're talking about. Uh, last week, we began this series uh, talking about gratitude, and we talked about how gratitude is, is all about remembering what has happened about God, about going back and remembering and giving thanks for what has happened. And, and this requires, this is a practice. Sometimes you, you hear the, the phrase, attitude of gratitude. You can't have an attitude of gratitude unless you have the practice of gratitude. It doesn't just happen. We have to have this practice. So we started last week, we started a gratitude journal. If you didn't get one, I think we have two left. But don't worry, it's just paper. So you can do this in any journal or on any piece of paper um, every day, just, just pausing, looking back on your day or on yesterday and thinking, what am I thankful for? What happened? And where can I give thanks to God? Even if it's to another person, maybe that you need to make a note that you need to go back and say thank you to someone for what happened. Um, so we encourage you to continue in that. We're doing 30 days of gratitude. It's definitely made me stop. You know, I want to be grouchy this week. And I've had to realize how grateful I am for, for everything that's happened this week in my life and all the ways that I've seen God. So studies show a joyful life is not attained by, by having more things, but by being grateful for what we do have. And in being grateful for what we have, we tend to be more generous, which leads to an increase in joy. So being grateful for what we have leads to generosity and leads to joy. When we are grateful, we give. Generosity, so we talk about gratitude is about going back and giving thanks. Generosity is about going back, remembering what we're grateful, and then moving on in life in such a way that those around us can experience gratitude as well. So we go back, we're grateful for what we have, and we move forward in such a way that others can be grateful as well. This morning, we're going to spend a lot of our time in, in Luke chapter 7, uh, the, one of the last sections of that, uh, verses 36 through 50. So if you have your Bibles or if you have a smartphone that has a Bible app and you want to turn to that, um, we're going to just read through some of that and talk about it. Um, most of the verses will be on the screen as well, so if you don't have anything, that's all right. 
But today we're going to look at an event that happens in all four Gospels of the New Testament. So each writer, they tell some of the same stories, but all from a different perspective. And so it's in all four Gospels. Um, It's a story of a woman who has been impacted by Jesus, and because of this and her gratitude, she gives extravagantly because of Jesus. Um, It's debated whether this story in Luke is actually the same that's found in the other three because it's actually at a different point in Jesus' ministry than the other three are found. Um, And there's a couple other details that are different that I'll point out um, throughout this. But we're going to focus on the Luke passage. Um, And so, but if you do want to read the other accounts of this similar story, they're found, here are the verses, they're found in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and John chapter 12, if you want to write those down and go back to them later. So we're just going to read through, I'm going to start at verse, um, I think I wrote it down wrong, oh yeah, I'm going to start at verse 36, um, and uh, we'll, we'll take some breaks here, so. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. There's a couple of things in this passage that reading it in 2018, we're like, this doesn't make any sense. What are they even doing here? Um, So just, you know, read through some commentaries because that's what preachers do and it was kind of fascinating so I'm thinking this is in a guy's house doors are closed there's an invited group of people but typically in in first century uh, a Pharisee someone of high status would invite a famous guest to a dinner at their house and this would be held in an open courtyard and everyone in town would know because you know, as humans, we want people to know that we have good people in our house and we want to show this off. So everyone in town would know that this guy has invited a a rabbi into his home for dinner. And so in this open courtyard, there might be the the table where they're reclining. They're like laying down because they don't have chairs. That's not how they ate. They laid down. And so they're reclining at this table, and there might be a group, a crowd around them, either in, in the courtyard as well or in on the property. People are just, you know, just want to be in the presence of this famous guy. And so it wouldn't be weird. When we read this, we're like, someone just walked into the house. This woman just walked into this house uninvited. She wasn't at the dinner. It wouldn't be weird for her to already be there you know, wanting to see who this guy is, wanting to be in that presence. And so it's not, it's not strange that, that she would be in there. Now, she wasn't, so she wasn't necessarily intruding, but what happens next, she kind of causes a scene. All right, let's, let's keep reading. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, party, and poured perfume on them. Now, this is not what normally happens at a dinner party, even in first century Israel, right? So this would have caused kind of this, like, everybody's kind of taken aback, wondering what's going on. So continue reading. When the Pharisee who had invited them, had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, he's thinking this out loud, if this man were a prophet, like he says he is, like everyone is saying that he is, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Now, at this point in the dinner party, um, you know, as the host, I'm sure he's like, what do I do? 
What do I uh, do? How do I contain this situation? So he's thinking to himself, this guy has to know what's going on, and he's going to respond in such a way as knowing that she's a sinner and that this needs to stop, right? In the other, uh, in the other gospel accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and, um, and John, um, Jesus, there's, there's this conversation that goes on between either the, the disciples or those who are, one, who are gathered around. And the, the conversation, I'm going to read, it's uh, from Matthew. It's found in the other two as well. Oh, just kidding. I'm reading it from John. From John chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Judas Iscariot, he was one of the disciples, he was the one who was to betray Jesus, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So this woman spills this ex- expensive perfume on Jesus, and in all the other gospel accounts, they're like, why, why did she waste this perfume? Like, this was a year's worth of wages that we could have given away to the poor. Now, Scripture goes on to tell us that that's not really Judas's intentions. His intentions are that he didn't really care about the poor, but he was a thief, and he was in charge of the disciples' money, and he would take what was given. So if this woman would have, sold, would have, would have given them the money, then Judas would have gotten his share, right? So that's what he's thinking in his head. But you can't say that out loud because it's Jesus. So, um, But one thing that's the same in each of these gospel accounts is that when people saw this woman's extravagant gesture, whether they were thinking, oh my goodness, she's a sinner, why is she here? Or they're thinking, why did she waste all this money? In, in, both, in all the accounts, all the people around were surprised. They didn't know what to do with this woman's expression of, of gratitude. They didn't know what was going on. None of them knew how to respond. Now, I believe, you know, G- Judas, as he's sitting there, and I think this is Jesus throughout all of the Gospels, he talks about money more than anything else in, in Scripture. And I think that with Judas and with us, that Jesus wants to shift our mind and our behavior around how we earn, spend, save, and give money. That it's not about the amount that we earn, spend, save, or give but it's about where our heart is. That when our heart is, when our, when our words are saying, oh, we need to give this to the poor, our heart needs to be there as well. The way in which we view and interact with money is directly tied to our relationship with God and the status of our heart. Our tendency and what we're taught in capitalism is to think, how can I acquire more? More money, more possessions, more fame, just more. How can I acquire more? You watch it on every single commercial, right? Every single commercial is you need more clothes, you need more food, you need more shoes, more, I don't know what else, more housing, uh, like furniture. We're taught to think, how can I acquire more? But Jesus over and over and over again teaches us that the thinking in the kingdom of God is how can I give more away. Over and over. How can I give more away? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, he had a saying that, that people heard him, who knew him, this is how he taught Methodists to, to live. He said, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. It's written that he was concerned that people were earning money in corrupt ways that contributed to justice. 
So we encourage people to live simply and, and earn all you can in just ways. But live simply to avoid wasting money on unnecessary things. So save all you can. And Wesley believed that generosity was rooted in grace. An emptying of oneself as an expression of the great commandment to love God and neighbor. So we earn all, all we can in ways that are just. We save all, all we can by not spending on unnecessary things. And we give all, all we can as an expression of love to God and neighbor. When Jesus begins to shift our perspective and our behavior around money, when we start practicing gratitude for all we have, when we begin to realize that everything we have is from God, as James puts it, James puts it in the book of James, chapter 1, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. When we realize that all we have is God's, we realize that the way in which we earn, spend, save, and give our money, that God needs to be done according to God's will, for God's purposes in this world, so that God can be glorified through everything we do. Now, what Christians earn belongs to God, and we should earn it honestly and in ways, ways that serve purposes consistent with being followers of Jesus. What Christians spend belongs to God, and we should use it wisely, not foolishly, on things that enhance life and do not diminish it. What we save belongs to God, and so we should invest in ways that strengthen society. And what we give belongs to God, and we need to give generously, extravagantly, and conscientiously in ways that strengthen the body of Christ and our witness in the world. Going back to the, the story of this woman, after this woman washes Jesus' feet with her tears and perfume, in the Luke story, particularly, the host of the dinner, this Pharisee. Now, let me stop right there. This Pharisee, typically we all have this bad perception of Pharisees, like they're evil, they hated Jesus, all of that. Well, earlier in Luke, Luke paints a different picture of the Pharisees, probably because he was kind of one. Um, so he's, he's not thinking that, that this Pharisee is necessarily against Jesus, as in some of the gospel, other gospel accounts, but this Pharisee is kind of, you know, testing the waters here with Jesus. And we see that in the upcoming text. So the, the host of this dinner, though, when this woman is washing Jesus, he's clearly, he's not responding well to this. He's kind of upset. He's thinking to himself, this woman is a sinner. She's not worthy to be washing Jesus' feet. And she's causing a scene at my dinner party in my house. And Jesus, a couple of chapters earlier than this, has already been labeled a friend of sinners. So I love that this text uses that, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And knowing the Pharisees' thoughts, he talks directly to the host. I'm going to continue reading uh, verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, so now he names the Pharisee. Pharisee's name is Simon. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he says, tell me, teacher. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? So Simon replied, you know, we've seen this play out, and Jesus, Jesus does this all the time with people. He, like, puts them into this trap where they know the answer, but they don't really want to give that answer. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then Jesus turns toward the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
Jesus continues, I came into your house. You did not spit any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, when this host would have invited guests into his house, especially this esteemed guest, someone who he knew was famous or a rabbi or someone that was particularly the dinner was held for, the host would wash their feet because, you know, they're wearing sandals and in the desert. And so he'd wash their feet, get the dust off, dry them and everything. They would give them a, a kiss of peace uh, as a sign of peace that you're coming into this house and that we will welcome you. And then they would put oil on their head as a blessing. And Jesus says that, that this guy didn't do any of those things. And yet this woman did. And so Jesus is almost asking, who's actually the host here? Is it this woman who you are calling sinful, but who recognizes who I am? And he says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So then Jesus turns to the woman and finally speaks to her and says, Your sins are forgiven. When we're grateful, we give. When we've received forgiveness, we love. When we've been saved, we do seemingly extravagant things. But for this woman, this gift that she's giving Jesus would never match the gift that he's given her. Over the course of this series, uh, we're giving our community an opportunity to practice gratitude daily, to remember those times when Jesus has saved us over and over, when Jesus provided for us over and over. We're also giving each of us an opportunity to think about how generous we are. Where are we giving so that others can experience gratitude? Now, there's a couple things I know because I know we all hate these giving talks, right? We all hate these. We walk into churches and we're like, oh, they're talking about giving this morning. But there's a couple things that I know. I know that there are a lot of places to spend money, to spend our money. We have bills. We have food. We have hobbies. There, we have, there's other organizations that we uh, give to. Sometimes it seems like our money doesn't go as far as it should, right? Like food is getting more expensive and housing is getting more expensive and our money doesn't seem to go as far as it should. But God desires for us to give our whole lives back to God. And God knows that our money is the hardest to give back to God. Jesus meets, uh, in a couple of the Gospels, he meets a man along his travels who wants to come and follow him. And so Jesus turns to this man and says, go and sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. And the story doesn't tell us how it ends, but it does say that this man walked away sad. Jesus knows that, he knows the pool that money has on our hearts and on our lives. He knows that when he asks us for everything, it's hard enough for us to just give a little. And I think knowing Jesus, he wants all of us, but his grace is sufficient. When we start to give a little, our faith grows and as our faith grows, as we experience more forgiveness, as we experience more love, as we experience more grace, we begin to give more. Our hearts start to turn to hearts of generosity. 
Now, money has always been a struggle for me. I didn't grow up with, well, like any money. Um, and like when it would come time for, for bills to be paid or, or whatever, I just remember always growing up, my mom would have to make that decision of, okay, we pay this bill, these bills this month. We don't need to pay the, these bills because we paid them last month and we have a little bit of a grace period, so we'll pay those bills next month. And just like b- that balancing act of trying not to be too overdue but not being able to pay everything every month. Now, Joe and I have always had enough. Like, we've never, I've never been in that situation in my adult life, and which is amazing. But we can always pay our bills. And God, I believe wholeheartedly that it's because God has always provided for us. Like, it's, it's God. Like, it's not because we're really great at managing our money or we make a ton of money. It's because God has always provided. We're not smart investors. I don't know how to invest at all. Luckily, We do have a pension that we have to do, so luckily someone else is investing for us. Um, We're not smart investors, but God has always provided for us, even when I wasn't sure and we're, you know, arguing about how this is even going to work out. God has always provided for us. I think human nature is to assume the worst, right? To wait for the, the other shoe to drop. We were just having this conversation like, we, we could need more dental work next year. Finn could have to go to the, the doctor again. You know, we might need to get another car. Like, all these things. And I'm just waiting for the next shoe to drop and not knowing. And I think that I've been, I've been working out of the assumption that God's grace is going to run out. That at some point, God has provided so much for us in our lives. At some point, God's going to stop providing because he's already provided enough, you know? It's hard to trust God with our money, right? No matter where we're spending it. Or, well, I, I wouldn't say that. Like, I can buy food really easily, like fast food. That's really easy for me to spend my money on. But if I'm thinking, if I'm not getting something tangible out of it, it's really hard for me to put my money somewhere and trust that, that God is going to use that. It's hard to trust that I give away, if I give away 10% of my income back to God's purposes in this world, that God is going to fill in the gaps, because it's hard to live on 90% of our income. But I do know from experience that when we give back to God, God always fills in the gaps. God always fills in the gaps. Luke chapter 7, verses 50, says that Jesus turns to the woman and says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This word saved in Hebrew means to make whole. It's the word that we get for, for savior. It means that we've been made whole not just physical healing, but spiritual, emotional healing. And we don't know, the text doesn't tell us necessarily if she had met Jesus before and Jesus had forgived her before this dinner and her gift was a, a thanking gift because she's meeting him again. Or we don't know if, you know, in this moment because of the gift she gets, what we, that's where Jesus is forgiving her. The text gives us evidence for both, but what we do know is that her life at some point was transformed by Jesus. At some point, she heard about Jesus, met Jesus, found out about him, experienced something that changed her life. She had found found love, grace, forgiveness from this man when all she had known from men was abuse and being discarded. The faith it must have taken to walk into a crowded courtyard of a dinner party where she wasn't invited, but everyone knows who she is. 
and pour out her heart and her expensive perfume onto her Savior. That would take enormous courage and faith. But when your life is so transformed by Jesus, you can't help but give back. You can't help but be generous and extravagant. I recently heard a story about a man who was at a community dinner, like a, a meal, and he was not a rich man. He was someone who often found his next meal at community dinners, going from one to the other, provided by churches or nonprofits. And after the meal, there was a donation bucket, and he's walking by the donation bucket, and he took, takes out his wallet, and he found a couple dollars, and he put, put a couple dollars in the donation bucket. As he started to walk away, he stops, he goes back to the donation bucket, and he empties his wallet, puts everything in the donation bucket. When we find love and grace, even when we give everything we have, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's enough to say thank you. As Jesus responds to Judas in the John text, Jesus says, The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Now, this sounds harsh coming from Jesus, especially when we hear about the rich young ruler and he tells him to sell everything to the poor. But when we read it as a first century Jew who knows the Old Testament and knows that this is coming from the Old Testament to give all we have to the poor, we know that Jesus is confirming that when we give, we give to the poor. That's, that's just a, a known. That's a given. It is our responsibility to take care of our neighbor as people of faith, as people of, of God in, in this context. And, but when Jesus was alive, this woman expressed her gratitude directly to Jesus. Today, as the church, we express our gratitude to Jesus through the church and through various ministries that are strengthening God's witness in the world. As First John puts it, we love because God first loved us. We give because we serve a giving God. Where we hear in probably the most famous verse out there, probably even people who aren't in church, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we might be saved, that we might be whole. We give because we serve a giving God. As Christians, Jesus is always shifting our priorities from this world to God's kingdom. So as we think about our, the way in which we think about money and the way which, in which we interact and behave with money, I want to challenge us. How can we make a kingdom impact with everything that we have so that we can live gratefully with the saving grace of Jesus? How can we have this kingdom view of money so that we can live with gratitude because we've been made whole? At the end of this um, story in, in Matthew and in Mark, it says that wherever the gospel is shared around the world, this woman's story will be shared as well. Generosity is looking back with gratitude so that we can move forward in such a way that others can experience gratitude as well. This woman's generosity and her love for Jesus has now impacted everyone throughout the history of the church. Everyone who reformed her gospels hears about this woman's extravagant love and the way in which God transformed her life. It's hard to trust that God will provide. Part of uh, beginning to trust is taking a risk, though, right? When you're, has anyone gone um, rappelling or 
bungee jumping or I guess any extreme sports people in here. Well, I used to go rappelling all the time, and it was terrifying every single time because you're, I mean, you're, you're sitting backwards. It's not like bungee jumping, right? You, like, jump, right? Rappelling, you're, like, sitting backwards. You can't see anything behind you, and you just, you just have to know that there's still a rock underneath you because I went on rocks, not on, like, a board thing. But, you'd, you know, you'd have to know that there's still the rock behind you to take those baby steps, I think it's the same thing with trusting God when we start giving, that we still have to know that the God is still there in that 1% or that 2% that we're going to give, that little bit that we're going to give, that God is still there, and that, that after that first step, that God is going to fill in the gaps for the rest of the fall. I would say that if you feel stuck, like you're not growing in your faith, like, you can't see God working in your life. You have no idea where God is. I would encourage you to trust God with a little bit of your money. I think that step of trusting God with a little bit of your money, you will begin to be keenly aware of where God is moving in your life. One, because you're looking for it because you spent money on it. <laughs> right? You're going to be like, okay, how is God using this? Where, where is God moving? Our memory verse, uh, last week we had a memory verse. It was 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, I think. Um, this, this week our memory verse is Philippians 4, uh, verses 6 and 7. 7 couldn't fit on that tab, so look it up later. Um, but you all have a card with you, and I encourage you to take this and put this somewhere where you can see it on a regular basis. This is one of my memory verses from for the last very long time. Um, and this one, I think, when we talk about um, gratitude and generosity, this is, this is one that I think of all the time. It says, Philippians 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7 says, uh, just for your reference, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we present our request to God with thanksgiving, with gratitude, then God, the peace of God, will guard our hearts and our minds in whatever situation that is. Um, um, so I... We're going to have a Thanksgiving potluck here soon, so we're really excited about that. I, I saw there was a lot of really good food, so I hope you all will stay and join us. Um, I, I just want to take a couple minutes, though. This could be really awkward, but <laughs> I'm okay with that, you know. <laughs> um, I want to do, I just want to throw it out there to see if anyone has any questions about giving. So we're talking about giving. Um, a, Last week we started, we, we um, gave you guys an opportunity to, to get a discernment card. And this is just a way for you to, to see, okay, where am I giving now? What do I feel like God is, uh, is challenging me to give more of what God has given me? And so, um, I, so as we're continuing that, we have more on the, on the table as um, near the door. So if you didn't get one last week and you'd like to look at that, um, we encourage you to do it. It's a discernment card because it's not a pledge card. We're not, 
we're not using this necessarily to, like, we know you're going to give this and we're going to hold you to it next year, but it's really between you and God and working in how you're growing as a disciple of where where are you giving to God and how and where is God challenging you in that. So, um, but I want to just take a moment and see if there are any questions about the way in which we um, receive stuff about um, about giving to charity or churches in general. Anything that questions that you have about anything really, uh, we want to be really upfront about completely transparent about our financial processes, where our money is spent, our budget, all of that. Um, so yeah, yeah. There's there's yeah. Well, I always do. You know, two two sides of this coin. On on the one hand, you know, um, especially if you're a visitor with us today, generosity will change your life. We highly recommend it. On the practical end, um, you know, we're finishing up the year. We're looking at 2019, and if this, you consider this your church home, we wanna we wanna engage. You encourage you to engage a conversation with your with your significant other and your family and with God around you know what giving looks like in 2019. So there's two sides of the coin, but um, uh, we also know that when we put a open up. For questions, a lot of times people don't have questions, but then they will come and ask us later because we open it up in questions. So if no one asks a question, that's okay. You can st- now you know you're allowed to. Um, so you mark it on your connect. Like if you have a question that you don't want to say out loud, you can write it on your connect card. We'll reply to that. And then yeah, if you want to have a conversation with us or our finance team, throwing it out there, finance team, uh, you can have uh, ask us as well. We're like fighting over the mic now. We need to. We do. It's okay. Oh, good. Because we have some that people have already asked us we're going to. So this is not a practical question. I'm on the finance team, so I know where the money goes. Um, (laughs) But um, I actually have a theological question about giving, and it's something that's bothered me for a long time, and I'm always like, oh, I need to research that, and then I never do. Um, So hopefully you guys have an answer. Um, (laughs) So when I was growing up, my parents always taught me to tie 10%. Like, I literally got 25 cents each week for my allowance, and I brought three pennies to church every week, because you round up, not down. Um, And you can't bring two and a half pennies, um, right? So, but a lot of the laws around giving 10% of your income were from the Old Testament, and I've often wondered, like, what is an appropriate amount to give now that we're under the New Covenant? Like, does the New Testament talk about the amount that you should give as a Christian? And I don't think it does, but I just wondered if you have any thoughts or reflections on that as, as we think about how to organize our finances in a way that honors God. So, so part of being under the new covenant, and I think this is, this fits well with most of the, law, the Old Testament laws. Um, is that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And that Jesus was Jewish and still abided by the 10% law. And even early Christians did as well. There is, um, a, I don't want to say command, but a, an urge to Christians in the, in the New Testament church to be, to be generous or whatever that word is. Yeah, like it was it was expected that you were it was expected that you were going to give 10% because you're Jewish. And so you're going to give your 10%, that's what we do. But it was almost as if now that Jesus has come, we're giving everything. <laughs> like that like it, he stepped it up a notch or, you know, 90%. And and so so there's this I and and that's you know, so what we would say uh 
what we do is we do 10%, um, but when we're able, we do more. And and we try to, and, and generosity is, is also more about money, and so it's about the save your heart. And so you give financially generously, but you give your time generously, and you have a generous heart, and and you know, you're hospitable and all of that. And so I think, yeah, we could say just 10%, you know, to the end up, not down. Um, but I think that Jesus calls us to more and he did to the rich young ruler, you know, go and sell all your possessions and give to me. And it's, it's really more about the state of your heart than, than the dollar amount that, that you're deciding. Yeah, it's like um, what, what Alyssa was saying. You look at the Sermon on the Mount and the way in which Jesus interprets the law. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And, and what he's saying is like in that law, there's actually a deeper principle in, in loving your neighbor. And then if you want hating your enemy, isn't going far enough. So I say to you, love your enemies. And so the law just said, love your neighbor. Jesus took it. He's like, no, that's not far enough. You got to love your, and the same thing with uh, adultery. He says, you know, law says don't commit adultery. But I say, I say to you, you look at a woman, like not committing adultery wasn't enough because it's still this heart issue. So I say, don't even look at a woman lustfully where you've committed adultery in your heart. And so um, the early church, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing significantly, but the one time Jesus does talk about it, he's talking to the Pharisees and that's what he says. He says, you shouldn't, uh, forsake that. Um, you shouldn't. For, you should continue doing that, plus some. And he, and I can't. That there's a better. It, that's not how he says it. He says it more eloquently than that. But um, it's that that idea. So um, you know, I think in 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 God's world, it, it's it's. Uh, I would suggest ideally tithing would be the training wheels and the starting point, and then we grow in our generosity from there. Um, the problem with that is um, if you just want to just know so you can do it and be done with it, then that doesn't work, right? Like, oh, just tell me what I'm supposed to do, and then I'll do that, and then I don't have to worry about it. I think God's like, no, 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 I want you to wrestle with it, and it's a sort of a lifelong journey of growing in our generosity. It's a good, it's a good question. Um, so, yeah, the New Testament doesn't talk a lot about tithing, but the implication is that... Um, um, there are some churches that then don't encourage tithing because of that. And their intent is that you would give more than a tithe. When I talk to people who go to those churches, I sense they use it as an excuse to give less than a tithe. So I feel like you've, you know, like, it comes down to the heart issue. So, yeah. Any, any other brave souls? Similar question would be net and gross, but it goes back to what we just talked about. Do you want to? Yeah, yeah. Somebody sends you an email every single day about what Don't answer those. Right. <laughs> <laughs> those are not. <laughs> so how do you make a decision between how much you're making for the church versus how much you're making elsewhere? Maybe they want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. Um so I'll just be honest with you, I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> um really biased and, and so I you know, we um we give outside of the church. We, we personally, because we not only believe in the ministry and the future of this church, but we, um, we want to model that, and uh, we want our hearts to be... Your hearts will go where your treasure are. So we want our hearts here, so we, we give 10% um, plus to this church, 
Um, but then we give to other places too. And, um, you know, it's a similar type of answer. Like, I don't have an easy answer to this is what you should do, but I think it should be in conversation with your family and with God and, and allow God to shape some of that. Um, personally, we strive to be a place worthy of people's gifts. That you know, and so I can say that, and then I can, you know, like like you, Jared, I can list hundreds of other places that would be worthy as well. And so, um, I would. My one thought is, if if your if your desires to be so generous that you have these gifts, you're not sure where to give. Um, what a great problem to have. And 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 I'll add to that. I, I know this one story. This guy, he he refused to tithe to the church. And he met with the pastor to explain, and the reason why he wouldn't tithe to the church is because 10% income, he did tithe, but 10% of his income was more than the church's budget. And he's like, it would just mess up the whole church. Like, it would just, like if, if one person gave the same amount as the current budget, that would be a crazy thing. So let me just say, if that's you, we're very creative. And there's a lot we could do for the hurting and the poor and the broken with... A double in our budget, so um, we can find we can find ways to spend it. I would think, but but you know, like it's a legitimate wrestle. So he, this guy in this one particular true story, said to the pastor, "You want to do something special above and beyond the budget? Come talk to me. I'll, I'll be the first person to give." But then he also put requirements like a certain percentage would have to come from other people in the church. So it was an interesting little story that I'm butchering, but yeah, it's a discernment process, like most things. I would say, though, too, that, like, make sure where, that you know what your, where your money is going and what it's being used for, and that it's actually going to, it's actually strengthening God's witness in the world. I mean, if you want to give to a non-Christian organization, that's fine. I think non-Christian organizations also strengthen God's witness in the world, or can do that. But I, I would say just knowing that in, in that discernment as well. There's a lot of great resources for investigating charities giving above and beyond. It's worth. It's definitely worth spending that time. I tend not to give under compulsion. So, like even somebody in the street, I tend not to be generous in that regard. Um, other people are, and I don't have any problem with that. But I, she is. I, 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 I tend to be generous in a much more planned out way, and that's that's just my personal. That's me and God. Anyways, I'm going to go get, uh, pick up the turkey. Um, so I think you guys are, like, closing your work. Yeah, yep. If you guys have any other questions, uh, feel free to email us or write it on your Connect card or catch us later. Um, we'd love to answer those questions. We believe that giving to God through the church and through ministries um, like that is such a huge part of a discipleship. Like, we take this very seriously. Like, it's not just because 
organizations need money, but it's because of our growth as disciples of Jesus. We really need to know that, that God is in control of our money. Um, so I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I think they're all in here. Yeah. Um, we're going we're gonna to pray, um, and then we'll continue. We'll have our, our closing song. And then if you are staying to help with the uh, – or to – eat food, to help eat food. Um, if you want to uh, help set stuff up, that'd be great as well, or hang out while we get stuff set up. But let's pray. God, we know that um, you are the most generous, that that everything we have is from you, that every time we stop to think about the ways in which you've moved in our lives, the, how you've provided, uh, the list could just go on your grace and your love and your forgiveness. This good news that we are made whole because of you. So God, we thank you. God, we ask that you would uh, speak to us, that you would, uh, we could know from you um, where you're challenging us, uh, what you want from us, what you have for us in all this. And that, God, uh, in those moments when we're terrified of letting go of our money or, or of being generous or being extravagant, that, that when we take those risks, that you would be there with us, that you would fill in the gaps, that, you would, uh, that, that your peace that transcends all of our understanding, that you would comfort us in those moments and reassure us that you are with us, that you do have us, that we live in your world, that you created all of this, and that you have the ability to use all of it. And so, God, we pray now that that you would speak to our hearts, that we would know from you, and God, that we would be reminded of the ways in which you are working in our lives. God, all of our worship, we just pray that is that is glorifying to you that you hear our words and our hearts and that we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?